Hey, this is Justin Sinceri, licensed marriage film therapist and your fellow polybagel nerd. This was originally an Instagram Live where I addressed this voicemail that I got from a listener, a super fan. I have a feeling there's going to be some mixed opinions on this, and this is this is just my opinion. This is my opinion just based on working with kids uh, for over a decade now and how I understand trauma and what I understand to be the buffer of trauma, which is the uh, parental attachment with the child. It's a big, big, big part of it. So this is my opinion. These are my thoughts on it. Feel free to disagree. So I had a question um, about my 17-month-old son. Um, We have to give him medication for his asthma twice a day, which involves holding a mask over his face. It is something he really, really hates. Obviously, you know, it's, it's not a nice experience. When we do have to do it, he, de- he instantly drops down the ladder, sympathetically charged, flight, fight. You know, he's trying to run, crawl away. He's trying to lash out and hit. And because he needs this medication, we, we do have to hold him still and restrain him to, to give it to him, which is just horrible for him and for us. So my question is, do you guys have any suggestions in ways to make this, I guess, less traumatizing? Um, In terms of safety cues, we do our best. Like He obviously is limited verbally, but we do explain to him why we're doing it when he is in that safe and social mode. We try to um, make sure the environment's as calm as possible do it in his bedroom where he has lots of happy positive experiences we try to remain as calm as we can but to be you know to be fair we're both probably quite sympathetically charged ourselves because we find it quite distressing doing it you know we do those that we talk to him during we try to calm him with humming and singing and and gentle touch so it, it is it is quite a difficult situation that we're having to do twice a day so yeah, any suggestions you guys have in terms of um, increasing safety cues for him or, you know, it might be on reflection about um, trying to calm ourselves and regulate ourselves down as much as we can so that we can be as regulated for him. But any other su- suggestions you guys had would be fantastic. You're doing such a good job. I love all of the podcasts. Um, you're making it so accessible for everybody and Thank you for everything you do. I think this is pretty much a lot of parents can relate to this when it comes to things like not not, not surgery, maybe, you know, surgeries, but like haircuts, having to restrain your child. Some parents will restrain with like timeouts. I don't recommend that whatsoever. Medical treatments, dental visits, shots. That's a big one. Shots. Some parents are dealing with kids that have like, are like violent to themselves or others. And so they use restraint. And I'm not recommending one way or the other, but I'm just talking about it in general. So there's a lot of incidences where this might apply, and I think a lot of parents can kind of get it, and they're like, yeah, I want to know more about that. So I think this is a really good question for people. But the concern here that they're expressing is the way one of the paths of trauma, there's two paths, and one of the paths is a chronic disruption of connectedness where we're constantly being cut off from safety, and so we exist in more of a flight, fight, or shutdown place, and that has a lot to do with CPTSD, which I'm recording later on tonight. And the second path to trauma is where we are supercharged up, like our flight fight system's on, but then we're immobilized. 
while highly charged up, that charge can get stuck inside of us. So it's like the gas is on, but the brake is on at the same time. So it's like that's 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 basically it. So I, I think that's what this parent's concerned about is when they give this treatment to their child, or if we go to a doctor and we have to give our child's like getting a shot or a vaccination or something, they're supercharged up. They don't like shots. Kids don't like shots. They don't like injections. They don't like blood withdrawals. So they get really revved up and they might be screaming. They're like fighting it. They're tensing up. So they're really sympathetically charged, but then they're being immobilized because parents might be holding them down or the nurses or the doctors. And there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. But that's the issue is that this parent's concerned that there's a high charge while they're being immobilized and that they're concerned that there might be some sort of trauma happening here, right? So I I can totally validate the heck out of this and understand where they're coming from. This is something I wrestled with myself, just this idea. And like, am I traumatizing my kid? Both my kids had vaccinations. We do shots, all that, the flu shots every year, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they don't like it. They don't like it. You know, especially like blood withdrawals, times we've had to do that. You know, they don't, they don't like it. So I'm like, oh, but also my son, oh my God, he can't stand haircuts. And it might sound silly, but he can't stand them. And he screams and he's yelling, help me, mo-, you know, help mommy. And mom, mom's not even there. I'm there with him. He's like screaming, super sympathetically charged, fight, trying to fight me off. And I'm holding him and I'm like, oh my God, am I traumatizing my kid? And I'm like, all the pieces are here. He's sympathetically charged. I'm immobilizing him. And I hated it. So we ended up, I just like, I'm not doing this ever again. And we started giving haircuts at home. We made it work. But the pieces are there, you know? So I'm, I was worried about that. Shots, I was worried about that. And it might sound silly, but all the ingredients are there. And I think parents get concerned about this. So very valid concern. One of the things that she was asking about was preparing the environment. She said, um, they do it in the kid's bedroom. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure how important the environment is. I mean, I guess it's, of course it's, it's important. I suppose if you're at home, that's probably safer than being out in public. That's a, more of a cue of safety to be at home. So, and that's what we found with with the with haircuts with our son, is that being at home was a lot safer for him than being out in public. So I, I get that. This the environment is probably pretty important. Co-regulation. They were wondering about that. Of course, that's important. So, but the, but co-regulation is not something that you do to somebody. So it's not something that you like, you just turn on the smiles and the eye crinkles and you're doing co-regulation. That, that's not it. You have to actually be in your safe and social state. So you can't be like sympathetically fight, fight, fight flight charged and just start smiling because it's not going to come across as genuine or, or doing eye crinkles or trying to do vocal prosody. It's just not going to sound right. And uh, what will end up happening is even if you're like charged, like you're, if the parent is super sympathetically charged, they'll be tenser. You know what I mean? Like their body's going to be tenser, but then they're going to try and smile, but they won't have the eye crinkles. It won't be genuine. Or they'll try and do the vocal prosody, but they're not going to be like moving their neck. When we, when we are way down the ladder, we lose our ability to kind of like use our neck and orient to the environment uh, more effectively. So even if they're doing one piece of the co-regulation, the others aren't going to fit. So I don't think you can fake co-regulation. I had a really interesting conversation with this about this with someone else that I'll be posting to the podcast pretty soon. But uh, so you can't fake it. You have to actually be in your safe and social state parents. But it's okay to be sympathetically charged also. Now, what I'm talking about is you can be charged up, but you have to be in control of yourself. You have to be able to self-regulate enough 
to where you are giving those safe and social cues just naturally. You don't have to think about it, plan it out, and then like deliver the smile as planned. You have to actually be in your safe and social state as much as possible. But you can drop down as long as you have enough distress tolerance, you'll be able to tolerate that. And I don't think it's a huge deal. So I think that um, actually being in your safe and social state is key. Otherwise, it's just two people in their dysregulated state, the parent and the child. And I don't think it helps anybody whatsoever. So it's not bad to be sympathetically active. You just have to have the safety system to be able to tolerate it. And what, so for parents, what this will end up look like, looking like, and I hate to say this, but who's that guy? Uh, Caesar Milan, the uh, dog whisperer dude. He has this phrase of being calm assertive. And I think it's a great, it, it, it totally fits this where the parent is being assertive in what they, what has to happen, whatever that is. But they're also calm, like they're in control of themselves. But we do have to get the shot or the vaccination or whatever it is. Like we just have to, we have to have this treatment for your health. So, so I think calm, assertive that you can do that as a parent and still be in your safety state and, st- and still provide safety cues, but still be like sympathetically charged. So you, I think you can be calm, assertive. It's not 100% calm, obviously, but it's sort of like in control and assertive and giving some safety cues. But like, don't drag it out. Don't, I, I don't think it's a great idea to fake the vocal prosody and, all that stuff, like if it's for their health, you just you just like remember why you're doing it. And this was part of the issue I had with the haircuts was it's not for health. Haircuts are haircuts. And I couldn't justify putting my kid through that, you know, every few weeks or whatever. I think we were going like once every six weeks, six months because I hated it so much. I hated going to do haircuts with him. So he felt that too probably. I dreaded it. But it wasn't worth what he was going through. So we we I just accepted I'm not doing this in public anymore. We're going to make this work at home first, and then we'll go back out to public, which we haven't done yet, but he's doing phenomenally at home. So uh, we're, we're keeping rolling with that. So yeah, calm assertive. Um, don't drag it out. Don't drag it out. Just get to the point. It's about safety. It's about health. You just do it. They're not going to be happy about this stuff. Kids don't like shots. They don't like injections or vaccinations. They don't like it. I don't know if they ever will. I think eventually they'll get maybe used to it or they'll build a resiliency to, to doing so. But that only comes through success. Like that only comes through basically doing it. And then afterwards, doing some co-regulation with the parents, doing some play. And I'll talk about that briefly. But uh, once they realize, oh, we just get through it. The next time, I think it becomes a lot easier. And there are things that we can do as parents to make it easier this time. Um, and I'll talk about those a little in a, in a second. But um, I think they do get used to eventually. You know what I mean? And, and it doesn't mean they're traumatized. But the mindset of the parent is a big, big, big deal. It's like, this is just something we have to do. You're not, you're probably not traumatizing your kids. You're probably not traumatizing. You're probably a fantastic parent. So if you can set aside the anxiety of it, if you can set aside the blame or the questioning or the wondering, you're doing it for a reason. If it's for their health, period, that's it. It's for for their health. So the mindset is super important, I think, here. Don't fake it, like I said. It's not exactly a happy thing. If you can tap into some happiness, fantastic, but it's not a happy thing, right? It does suck. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, But it's just something we kind of have to get through. And I think from that mindset and from that determination, that in and of itself is, oh, okay, like that's a cue of my parents have this under control versus questioning, are you ready? And I don't know, doing fake smiles and stuff and dragging it out. To me, that increases anxiety. To me, that increases the lack of control in the situation. But if parents are just like, yeah, this does suck. We just got to do it. Let's go. I think 
that is more of a cue of safety to, to, to have parents who are in that calm, assertive place and who acknowledge it does suck. Nobody wants to be here. We just got to do it. To me, like that is a cue of safety, honestly. And they'll learn from that. They'll learn from that kind of mindset as they grow older. As far as what to do, a couple ideas. Plan ahead of time. You, I think when we have a plan, it puts us more in control of ourselves. If you're just showing up to the doctor without a plan, uh, it's not going to go well, right? Talk to the doctor ahead of time too, if you can. If you're... <laughs> my, dog, my little Pomeranian is out there barking at my kid, I think. If you're doing a haircut, plan ahead of time. Like, what does that look like? What kind of breaks are you taking? If, if you are, if you're doing a haircut at home like we did, and I call this B-plus parenting, we bribed the heck out of him. We said, we'll give you a Skittle every couple of minutes. And it went a lot better than in public. The next time we did it, we did less Skittles. The next time we did it, we did less Skittles. The last time we did it was a couple days ago, and it had no Skittles. So we tapered back on it, but we had a plan. And we gave him breaks. We let him watch TV, so he was distracting himself. We knew the hair, like when the hair touched the skin, he hated it. So we brushed that off him regularly, but we had a plan. We had, we knew more of what we were going to do and how to handle it. And it really helped out a lot. So I think when it comes to medical things, if you plan it out ahead of time, like how, is there a way we can distract them or help them focus on something and not on what's happening to them? Can you make a game out of it? Like plan this stuff out ahead of time. So it's not just like, okay, here we go. Like it's happening to you. Like plan it out ahead of time. Um, Something that we also do is we'll let him touch the things like um, the clippers. We got him these kid clippers. We let him touch them, let him play with them. Um, if, we, if there was some sort of, oh, he, he has asthma. At first he hated the asthma inhaler, but we let him play with it, put it on his face. He talked into it uh, and it made things easier. Like, so plan these things out at a time, introduce it to them in a safe context outside of the actual uh, like intervention. Take some breaks if you need to, depending on what the what the thing is. If you need to take a break, take a break. Plan it out, though. And then afterwards, have some sort of activity for them. Have something fun planned out, a game, go outside and play, get them moving. If they have that sympathetic energy that's kind of stuck in there, give them a chance to like get it out. And as they're getting it out, play with them. But you have to actually play with them. You have to actually have fun. And play with them, be a part of it. And you can let them lead the play. I don't think it's super important. You can lead the play too. You can kind of take turns. But as they're playing, direct their um, awareness inward. You know, like, oh my gosh, it feels so whatever outside right now, right? Can you feel the air on you? Can you feel your, your legs running super fast? So it's not teaching them about polyvagal states, but you're bringing their direction to, their, their mental direction, like their focus to some of these cues of the polyvagal state. So like, the leg muscles pushing on something. If you have a game where that involves pushing, uh, what it feels like to push, what you know, like that, you bring attention to that where they're learning about the stuff without flat out having a lesson plan for them. And I think kids learn very, very well through the moment, but also through play. So have that stuff planned out. Um, kids do really well with, they don't do super well with like being sat down and taught. But if you have two like dolls or stuffed animals that can like role play, kids will get into that super easily. So lead a little role play, let the kids get into it, and you might direct that role play a little bit towards what just happened, not maybe super explicitly, but actually I guess you could, yeah, if one of the dollies or one of the toys just went through something really sucky, they can talk about it. And I think that, like when I see kids in therapy with my own kids, I guess my son now, he's four, 
when I do that kind of stuff with him, he lights up like it's just like, oh, like it's it's my chance to like talk about this stuff in a way that feels safe and is playful. And when you're playing, you have the cues of safety going like your social engagement system is active. So it's a perfect time to deal with some of that stuff. But you could also uh, process it, just verbally talk about things if they're old enough ahead of time and also after time. But are they being traumatized? I, I, would, I would, in general, I would say no, because if they can eventually climb up back up to the their safe, uh, safety system, they're not in a stuck defensive state. <laughs> now there's a toilet flushing above me. This is just like live streaming with a ten-year-old who loves to be up at nighttime, at nine o'clock, um, eating. It's gotten a lot of fun. It's gotten really fun live streaming. My daughter, she's ten now. She's always up. 9 o'clock to 9.30, it's like her eating time. And I think she feels like independent going in the kitchen downstairs and like getting stuff and uh, getting ready for bed after that. Anyhow, so are they being traumatized? If they can accept co-regulation, if they can self-regulate, if they can have safe people in their life and, and get back to the top of their polyvagal ladder in general, no, I don't think they're being traumatized. Just because we're going into a defensive state doesn't mean we're actually traumatized. And I know that the pieces are there of high sympathetic charge plus immobilization. But in general, if you're a parent that's concerned about this stuff, if you're a parent that's reaching out for help about this stuff, if, if you're actively working on yourself, if you love your kids and you're connecting with them, they're probably not traumatized. They're probably, in the end, okay. Probably. Now, do I know that about your kid in particular, listener? No, of, of course not. But in general, they're probably okay. It's... If they can't get back to a safe state, or if that energy resides within them, that's when they're more of a traumatized place. But it's not necessarily lifelong. It's not a permanent thing. You're probably an awesome parent. If you're concerned about this, you're probably a pretty darn awesome parent. And you're probably pretty darn attuned to your kids. You know, like, I think that when we go to those places of, am I traumatizing them? Am I traumatizing them? You're probably sending them danger cues at that point. That's all about anxiety. That's all about your own stuff. They're probably okay. And if you're okay, that I think the chances of them being okay go way up. So your kid's probably fine. Going through something bad doesn't necessarily mean trauma, even if all the ingredients are there, I don't think. But the best thing you do is have a safe connection with them, be the best version of you, and give them some opportunities for growth, give them opportunities for play. And in general, they're probably going to be okay. And I think as a parent, hopefully you're okay too. But make sure you're in your own well-regulated place and they'll follow that's what kids do they, they follow they'll, they'll follow if a parent's safe the kids are gonna be safe too they're, they're gonna follow you there so take a deep breath let that stuff melt away do the best you can in these situations where it's like their health is the priority and we have to put them through something i don't know if it's a perfect answer you do the best you can and they're probably gonna be okay but just make sure you you know do the best you can and be in your own safe state dear listener i hope that was helpful for you Again, feel free to disagree, but I do hope it was helpful for you. I think the biggest thing for me is the pressure that parents put on themselves and that, well, I guess we put on parents, we in general, put on parents to be this, I think, unrealistically co-regulative person who knows how to handle every situation and not traumatize their kids and can somehow handle all this pressure and stress of being a parent. And again, I'll just reiterate, the biggest buffer of trauma, of not being in a traumatized state, is the parental relationship, the attachment there. Dr. Bruce Perry was being interviewed on the Being Well podcast, 
and he cited this uh, study or this example of how the parental attachment relationship is really the, I think the biggest buffer for trauma. He says, if in the first two months of life, you had low developmental risks, in other words, minimal adversity and pretty good connectedness. And then for whatever reason, the wheels fall off your family and you ended up in a high risk environment for the next 13 years, you are basically inoculated from bad outcomes. This highlights the importance of having what he calls pretty good connectedness. So not perfect, pretty good connectedness can be, can basically, he says, you are basically inoculated from bad outcomes. That doesn't mean that nothing bad can happen as far as outcomes for the future, but basically inoculate, like that, that's pretty good chances of you can handle whatever life throws at you, or you're much more likely to handle what life throws at you if you have low developmental risks, in other words, minimal adversity and pretty good connectedness in the first two to three months of life. So can a child who has these things, pretty good connectedness, can this child go into some sort of potentially traumatic incident and come out not traumatized? I would think so. I would think so. And you know, in all my work with kids, the consistent and predictable theme that I see is for the kiddos who are stuck in like a defensive place and have these behavioral adaptations that are really maladaptive for functioning in daily living, that the attachment and connectedness with their parent has been compromised. And if I can get that aligned, the kid does pretty darn well. I, I, I struggle to think of more than one client I've had, you know, in all my years where that wasn't the issue. And I've dealt with some really severe situations, some severe behavioral issues with kids. And really like the kids that I'm, it's like they all had, seriously, they all had some level, some significant level of attachment issues with, with their parent caregiver, with their, with their parental, with their caregiver, with their parent. And that looked a lot of different ways, but it's kind of always there, at least in my, my experience. And so, so how does this relate to the original question here that the person voicemailed in or messaged in? Be the awesome parent you are, not just the person, but all of us. Be the awesome parent you are. Come from love. Tell them you love them every day. Connect with your kids. Be the most safe and social person you can be. Be in your ventral vagal state as much as you can be. Do the best you can. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're probably an awesome parent or well on your way to being the awesome parent that you can be. But again, I hope this episode was helpful for you. I was extremely anxious about putting this out. There's actually, there's when it comes to parenting, I'm very reluctant to put stuff out because it's such a, it's kind of a pressure cooker. Like it's, there's a lot of tenseness when it comes to parenting, I think. And other areas as well, as well, of course. But yeah, parenting is one of those areas where everyone thinks they have the right answer, and they're very passionate about it. And there's a lot of tension. So I was very reluctant about putting this out. I hope it was helpful. Again, I will just talk this up to you. This is my opinion. Take it or leave it. But thank you for listening. 